Welcome to the Backwards Infect at Twitter and Gmail under that same name. I have just one question for you. How soon is now? Alrighty. The power of words. I was going to share something that I wrote 20 years ago, preparing for what we were going to talk about this evening. Um, And it goes something like this. Words have a distinct power over people. Sorry, let me change my glasses. That's not going to work. Words have a distinct power over people. Words are calculated to manipulate and control what the internal wants. Whatever rules your internal being is the reflection of what kind of words you use. Words have the ability to transfer transfer your will onto another human being. Often words are used by weak people to appear strong. Their inner struggle makes them weak, so they have to attain power through words onto another person. The weak in the world actually appear strong to the other people in the world. The world has everything backwards. The weak appear strong while the strong are tried to be silenced. Words are the main sword for the interior design of the particular human being. Weak people get their power from the placement and use of words. On the contrary, inwardly strong human beings have changing power in their words. Words of truth can pierce through to a person and give meaning. The spoken word of words has an eternal knowledge of good fruit. The strong are often downplayed in the world as being weak. This is totally false, though. The weak have to tear down the strong in order to keep their rightness in place. The strong actually threaten their very worldly being, so the weak are inwardly threatened by this. Words used by a truly inwardly strong person cannot be broken down by the words of degrade. The weak people trying to get strength can only achieve this through other weak people. The strongest of the weak survive and the weakest of the weak cope with what they have become. The strongest of the weak rise up in their wrongness. They achieve success, which seems to the world as strong. The weakest of the weak resent the strongest of the weak, and acquire traits of likeness in order to topple through and make their own way. To break through the barriers of words, you must acquire your effortless objectiveness. Words of truth are the antidote in dealing with words from the powerless. You must hear words that come out at you out of an incorrect being in a way of stillness. Words of the powerless powerless must not pierce you if they do it gets inside you just like the truth pierces the powerless will get their power from your overreaction to their words don't be the pawn in the situation stand back from the words let them pass through you without it manifesting and causing reaction inside it's pretty much it I was I was skimming through um and that par that paragraph came by and I was like, Oh, that one's kinda sticking with me. 
when I share that this <laughs> evening. Uh, was that... In the beginning, there was the Word, and the Word was God. <laughs> In the beginning. Um, it was huge. Yeah, it's, it's huge for me because the words were so important. They were so pivotal for me. I mean, words came into play in your awakening. You have a special word, and it's called entity. I mean, I had a special word from someone when I heard words come through. They had this certain power. I was like, whoa, where is the power coming from those words? And it had really nothing to do with the person. So someone that's really inwardly strong, like they're just like this conduit, you know, they're just they're just spouting out this truth and it just comes through them and you hear it and just plants right in your heart. And, um, but most of the world doesn't operate that way. Most of the words that have hit you all the way since you're a kid are like, you know, come from certain places of, you know, maybe close, but kind of no cigar. Yeah, it reminds me too, like going back to the beginning, like that's why I think I had so much trouble at the start. Like one of the things, like we've agreed on mostly everything, but one of the things where there was a little bit of separation is I just, I was at a place where words were just impossible. I mean, if you say in the beginning and the word, there was the word and the word was God, like it's so interesting because that's the first separation. It's like if the tree falls in the forest, does it make a sound? If the word is God, like who, who's the listener? If the word is God, who's the listener? And it's like the original separation, the original point of two comes out of the word somehow. The spoken word has to be heard by somebody. And there's definitely a sensation in awakening from my point of view, where the words just get so pointless, so pointless to try to describe something that you're trying to relate to something separate from you. Even the great conversations that we have, I mean, they just feel like sometimes they fall so short because I can't quite just put what's inside of me into somebody else. It requires this transfer of language and words. And like, as soon as you get into them, I don't know, you understand why there's a calling to some people to just take a vow of silence. There's for sure people that, can put it in the words better than other people. Um, I mean, there's <clears throat> probably a vast majority of people that have had awakenings. I don't, I don't know how many people, but there's probably a lot of people who have just half, 75% who have just gone about their merry way and uh, never ever talked yeah. about it, never had a need to talk about it, never wanted to talk about it. Um, the uniqueness of us both, I think if this happened to you individually or it happened to me individually, I had expression on paper, but the fact that there's two people, it, we felt like, okay, if we're going to continuously talk about it, at least we need to turn it into something. And that may be the special part of it is that there's two people that can bounce all these words off finagling as and making mistakes and, but, but, but throwing it out there between two 
because what what would I have done? I mean, if it was just me, okay. So I'm just, I mean, I can, I probably could have done that, but you know, and then I, I pretty much see you as well. If it's you, I don't see you just sitting up there by yourself, like just talking like Eckhart does or Osho does. I mean, that's special in itself. How maybe in five years you would be at that place. Maybe, Possibly, I don't know, but the uniqueness of us two, I think, is is very simple. Like we are brothers who had an experience that now we can have these conversations and try to put it into words. Yeah, because it doesn't relate well to the vast majority of people. And it's like the only way that there could be some kind of like transmission out would be like something, a format like this, where you have like, oh, a podcast, this is just out into the ether and anybody that wants to pick up this frequency can. But that's really, it seems like, but if you get it back to your inner circle, I mean, there's just no words that can transfer any of the meaningful substance that you're now walking around with. And to di- dissect it further, I think uh, we don't understand or can even see a lot about uh, that as well. But that's the same way that, you know, negative words would get into someone who was had the inability to, you know, see something every, every, everyone has taken a word personal at some point in their life. Like it got under their skin. We have a term for it. It it gets under your skin and then it starts to bubble up. That's happened to everyone at some point in their life. So like there's an opposite effect though, like with a word of truth or what you're talking about, I don't think we realize that that can get under someone's skin as well, but manifest in a, in a good way. I mean, you don't know the effects of a lot of things. We don't know the effects of what happened to you. I mean, we don't know. I don't know. I mean, something got under your skin, um, in a good way. And then there's, there's other things that, that you or I have, that, maybe said in or i know that there's spiritual teachers that has something that they get under my skin in a good way and then some type of seed starts to manifest i'm like you know even if it's even if it's a comforting just like listen to eckhart tolle that's like penetrating you in a way that negative words would but that's that's having a positive effect on you because it's giving you something. I mean, it's just, it's like, okay, there's another person in this universe who is, you know, has the antenna up and it's coming through him and I'm receiving that as well. Even though I know pretty much everything that's come out of his mouth, it's just somewhat comforting. So yeah, dissecting like what, what we do and what it may mean to other people um you know hopefully there's good seeds being planted just from our conversation yes 
I I think it's a lot of like going back to like Soleil and what she was trying to say. And I think that's the definitely the right frame of mind. And that is being the steward of your own progression. And that in itself is what enables the perfect timing of the words. That would be like a byproduct of your own personal progression. So to say it, to say it clearly, like how do you affect the people around you? You become an example of the spirituality rather than becoming a preacher of the spirituality. Now, you could become such a good example of the spirituality like you're talking about where you're also a preacher of the spirituality. But I think that's what the whole progression is. Like you would have to, in order to affect more people around you, it's, it's almost, it's a little paradoxical, paradoxical. You actually have to do more work on yourself. And I think that ends up being the path forward, but that's what Soleil was telling us. Uh, a while ago now, but I think she's dead on. Yeah. Um, the more I, I knew that right away that once I started going inward and, uh, just going back to the very first times I started meditating, like there was less words right away but the words that did come out were super impactful. Like when you first woke up, like you probably said 80% less of what you usually did, but the words that come out were like, bam, they're like, who is this guy? Um, And they were just like perfectly placed at the right time with the perfect patient force. Like, your son telling you what he did at school today and you're locked in his eyes listening and you're like, wow, I'm listening to my son tell me about his day and I'm locked in and every fiber of my being is listening to him for the five minutes. And at the end, I'm like, I have the perfect response, which is pretty much, wow, you had a great day, sincerely, which that right. never happened ever. And But that's the perfect words at that moment. Not, but it's more of what's behind the word, not necessarily what the word is. It's like what it's like someone who sings. There's a lot of singing shows on right now. You could tell the people that are like connected to divinity. It's what's behind that vocal cord. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. That that's a really good point. Um. Yeah. It, yeah, that stunned me. That's 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 really good. I mean, cuz you definitely have I it's funny because I feel like you just from dealing with people like you I feel like you see it in the opposite. So what you're talking about is beautiful, but it also works the other way. Like we've talked about, I mean, obviously entity, but then there's that other word like deserve it. And it's like every time I hear that word now, it like jumps out at me and, and, and immediately you turn your head and you're like, you know, it's a demonic source. Like that's the only thing that utters from the heart 
They deserve it. He deserves it. She deserves it. Even in like the best case scenario that you could come up with where, you know, justifiably, you know, add up A, B, and C, and they've got a good intellectual point they're making. Even in that case, like you look and you're like, oh my God, the demon speaks. And it's it's always that word is what turns my head to it. But yeah, there's a lot of those. And it's not, it's just like what you said. It's not even the word. It's, it's them with that um, certainty of rightness over another being. And it's like, as soon as you hear it, it's like, wow. Like, they, of course, don't realize most of the time. But yeah, the demon speaks and you can hear it. Yeah, I'll... It's all about the 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 thought that consumes you behind the thought. Some people are like naturally <clears throat> naturally divine. Um, the girls love to watch those singing shows because that that brings up a <clears throat> a big point with me. And even the judges on those shows now, they're like they've really progressed on coaches of like bringing out their divinity. Like they help them like find themselves just kind of cool there's some people that come out there and they're like wow that come from like soul and then you know some people that come out there and they're they have the talent but it's it's like not coming from a correct place and they help coach them how to find that but they're doing it in a totally different language which is like your vocal cords which is it's it's completely spiritual I'm watching. I'm like, wow, this, they've, these shows have come so far because even the judges, like they're, they're helping them on their spiritual path. It has nothing to do with like necessarily becoming a big singer. They're just helping them find like <clears throat> what they already have naturally inside. And how do you, how do you get that confidence right here in a spotlight and send that out into the universe when three, two, one go. That's hard. And and some people can do it like three, two, one, go natural. And then some people have to be like, okay, coach me. How do I find that? Then they do. It's pretty beautiful. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. That's definitely one with music one time where, yeah, people could be coming out. Any of that artistic expression I feel like you even talked about writing and uh, sometimes drawing. Like there's a lot that comes out in that free flowing creative expression. Like there's definitely something there that's uh, beyond our ego for sure. Um, It's definitely fun to explore and watch other people explore it. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't really watch those shows too much. It's the zone that uh, athletes get in sports. And it's, if I was about to say, it's always fascinated me. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But, <laughs> and it's another like, one of those words. <laughs> We had a podcast called The Second Fascination in the Second Death. 
no, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, I always look back to the times where <clears throat> in basketball, I would get so hot and I remember throwing the ball up and it didn't matter how you threw it up. If you were in the zone and you were hot and this is like your third or fourth one, it was going in. You just had to throw it up. It's almost like you, like when you're that far in the zone, you have the ability to manipulate gravity with some kind of extension force, like your your hand. And I remember doing it. I like. There's no reason why you just throw a ball up. It's like, how does it find where it's finding? But there is no thinking at that point. <clears throat> and there's also I'm a golfer. There's a Netflix. This is really good for like, if you want to think about shows that you can watch, like, okay, how does everything turn into like spiritual gain? Well, like a lot of these shows on Netflix that have nothing to do with spirituality, give me like these spiritual insights because there's a Netflix called full swing and it's all the cool golfers and, um, you know, it's behind the scenes. They've never really done that in the PGA. So they do that. They start following like Jordan Spieth, Brooks Kepka, and all the big golfers. But unknowingly at the time, they start following, following them kind of like they did with Michael Jordan in the last dance during one of the biggest controversies in golf, which was live. So they start the documentary early and then all of a sudden you have the live thing um but that really didn't have anything to do i haven't gotten that far but if you know anything about golf brooks kepka for two years straight won everything he was unstoppable he was in the zone right he he told the story on netflix he's sitting there after two years thinking himself crazy because he's lost the zone. And I'm talking about every time he teed it up, like it might have even been three, like for two years straight, Brooks Kepper, he won the US Open. He won probably four or five tournaments each year. I mean, he was on a roll. When the US Open came again, you're like, dang, he's going to win it again. He was kind of like Tiger Woods for two years. That all went away like real quick. And then in the documentary, it shows him at his house. Like, this is the shit you don't see. Like, he's at his house, like thinking. How do I get this back? He's driving himself crazy. Like think, but I did that too. Like when I was a kid, like you get in the zone in baseball and then you get in what they call a slump. And then you're like, you start thinking. And he even said it in the documentary. He's like, when I was winning, I wasn't thinking. How do I not think anymore? How do I not think? How do I jump back into the zone? How, how is the zone selective like that? Like, how do you jump in and jump out? And But but it's kind of like spiritual path, kind of, because that zone is something spiritual. Something spiritual. Some kind of elevation of, you know, say your astral body inside, you've heated it up so much. Something is tied to a higher level of spirituality that gives you the ability to manipulate gravity because uh, uh, someone who putts who's in the zone, they can make a putt for 30 from 30 feet and they're not even thinking about it. 
there's certain people that can Rory McIlroy, if he gets in the zone, he makes every putt. Doesn't matter if it's 10 feet or 30 feet. How is that possible? Yeah, there's definitely something to be understood there in terms of spirituality. I agree. It is a representation of the spiritual when you hit those athletic zones like that. I'm definitely familiar myself. There are times where it just, yeah, it seamlessly comes together. And we were talking about that a while ago, but I think what ends up happening is your expectation is being exactly met. So like, you know, if you're doing putting or whatever, like you walk up to the hole and you expect the putt to go in and therefore the putt goes in. And now that vibrational state just keeps on incrementally rising a little bit because you're always stepping into the next moment of now and you're not in anxiety about what that next moment's going to be like you already have like a crystal clear understanding of what that next moment is going to be so you don't argue with it like what am i going to do when i get to this putt well i'm going to make it and you get up and you make it so the expectation is then met by the reality of now And as long as you can keep rolling like that, it'll stay. But as soon as you stop and you're like, well, am I going to make this putt too? As soon as you like interact with it, that's when it all starts crumbling down on you. And then that anxiety creeps in. And then when you make one mistake, you're like, hey, that moment and now did not live up to my expectation. And can you control that? descent of energy and disappointment when you step up to a moment of now and it doesn't meet your expectation but yeah that there's something to play with there that can definitely demonstrate to you how your system when it starts harmonizing with the expectation of the next moment of now how it can elevate your entire being yeah, I say that because we talk about meditation and reaching different states by being silent. And I think it needs to be said, like, somehow this is being done in front of 30,000 people making a couple three-pointers, and then the third one, you're in the zone, and you've raised your vibration, and he's been running up and down a floor in front of a bunch of people and probably with a pretty hefty ego. So something going on there where you can tap into something. And I even remember like trying to fight the urge to think that I was a badass. Like when you make four or five, three pointers in a row, your mind starts to tell you how awesome you are. And then all of a sudden you have the ego fall. I can remember fighting against that. Like, uh, oh, why did I? Oh, because I yep, I got cocky. That happened. Oops. I mean, yeah. how do you avoid that? You start, 
Well, now I, in hindsight, that was, you know, 15, 16, 14, whatever it may be. But at, at, at age, I remember the energy forces that I was fighting by my, my inner true self was knowing, don't let that ego in. You're going to lose this. You know, you will call yourself a yeah. one more time. Yeah, that's a great point. That that definitely reminds me of volleyball. Like you can ride it for a while, but eventually, like you're gonna consider yourself unstoppable, and that's that's the the, the stroke that kills you. Yeah, yeah. You ride it for as long as you can, but yeah, it's kind of it's like inevitable that the state cannot be maintained. Like the ego can't handle the state for like long periods of time. Like that's why they call it the flow state. I mean, that's why, you know, none of the golfers can keep it up for 20 years. That's why like it's, it's a temporary state because the ego cannot manage that state. It's impossible. Yeah. That's the point for Tiger Woods, the best golfer ever. And he had runs. They were like two year runs. No, he had like five two-year runs or whatever it was. But, you know, he has been golfing for 20-something years. Um, but if you look back in history, he had very short domination periods. Just Brooks right. Kepka had one of them. Like, he may find it again. And it was just cool to watch that documentary because they talk about finding that. Like he, like his whole conference, like sitting on the sofa at home, he's like, Tom, when I find it, it uh, uh, I'm going to know it. And that, right. that's kind of true for, you know, I can sit down and meditate and thoughts are going past the screen and I, I don't feel connected. But all of a sudden, if presence breaks through and I'm in that state where thoughts no longer dominate. I mean, you know instantly that you've found a higher state of love and um, pureness uh, within you that you would have never found unless you got still and quiet and were patient. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely illuminating to understand the flow state, to understand the athletic flow state, or understand like the creative flow state. There's definitely a lot to understand there. But yeah, it's not the experience of God. I mean, it, it's not internally, it doesn't hit you like the experience of God. There's too much, it's too short. And the ego eventually gets in the way. I mean, everybody appreciates when they're in that state, but it's definitely not the same thing as having a God experience. It is an experience of the divine from our point of view, for sure. But you would have to separate it from the actual God experience that's possible in a being. Uh, so I did want to read something that kind of 
was right along the lines of what we talked about the last podcast. And um, I retweeted it on our page. It's from Carla in Croatia. Subconscious mind has immense power in controlling your reality. It soaks in the data, stores it below the level of conscious awareness like a sponge. However, it can be reprogrammed through visualization, affirmations, binaural beats, hypnosis, persistent reinforcement. Kind of went along with the last podcast we talked about when I described my dream where waist deep in water when I was putting the oar in like that subconscious um, controlling your reality, but it's not seen by your awareness. I think it's such a huge point because when you talk about shadow work, there's definitely different levels of shadow work. I feel like 20 years ago when I did what you would call shadow work, like, you can get to a level of of peace to where subconscious doesn't control your actions on a daily basis from like culture and religion or whatever's whatever data you're consuming on a daily basis or a stressful job but whatever it is whatever that intake is it's just pelting your subconscious um your kids your family life any just peltering 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 so your behavior your behavior begins to cultivate from your subconscious but your awareness never sees that so when you start meditating you naturally start to tame the subconscious and the inner being kind of wakes up and is able to start walking around with patience and divinity um so but when she got down to the bottom i thought it was kind of cool and then your story as well because um, the dream for me going, you know, deeper into your shadow work. Um, I think for sure, like when you talk about Gnostic courses and lessons, and we've talked about this uh, off of off the record, but it seems that there's like some serious levels of self discovery, not from th- just this lifetime, but just. Uh, massive amounts of of karmic um things to view and to accept although you know most of the people choosing not to do that is because of what what they would see i mean no one wants to see yourself portrayed in you know a rotten little way but Yeah, I think just to clarify, because shadow work is such a buzzword now, and when we use that word, we're not talking about like childhood trauma or something that we feel like we need to work through in our history. What we mean by shadow work is there's, especially in the dream state, there's an, there's a development of light. Like you can all, you can, in my case, I could literally see it. I I'm bringing light into situations and I'm shining light into like dark tunnels or, you know, holes. And so 
part of the process was, well, if I'm going with this light, like, can I ask to go deep inside myself and understand where the puppet strings are to the subconscious that don't have anything to do necessarily with, um, you know, like events in history. I mean, maybe they do to some degree, but it's not like, like childhood trauma stuff. It, it's more like watching could, the walking dead. But it could dead. be for someone. It could be for somebody. Yes. I'm just saying that's not us. Right. And, but if you don't, so like, you know, I don't have these events from childhood or whatever that I feel like I need to work through. So what exactly is your shadow work then if you don't have those? But what I'm starting to think is like, we're, we're not aware of when we wholeheartedly identify with concepts. So like you could be watching like the walking dead and you could have like some desperate murderous scenario in the narrative that you identify with because you've sat down and you're letting this narrative imprint on you and now you're saying oh i totally understand why they're doing that the way they are but you might not understand like foundationally like there's a place for that in there and you just gave it energy and now there's some kind of like manifested force in there that's okay with that even though it wasn't your desperation situation that it was the impression of the narrative and then when i go back and i look at like how i drowned myself in narrative for so many years i'm like oh my god like i figured out every emotional way to justify every manifestation possible and then you start to but i was not aware of that there's foundations for that for everything that's just the seven deadly sins i mean in any combination of you know greed lust envy wrath gluttony whatever any combination there's foundations in there so if you're sending energy in there in this like pure hypnotic state and you're wholeheartedly identifying and justifying with certain narratives i think you create a lot of subconscious strings that are then manifesting in your day-to-day life that's why you surprise yourself with something like road rage or an outburst of anger or a sudden burst of jealousy or like where does that stuff come from well because you've created these psychological manifestations within you and they do have control at times when you're not paying attention yeah i think that's beautifully said because awareness is not really prevalent if you're asleep so 
it's just subconscious running around and that's what you would call that's what you would call the rat race because there's, i mean there's very, very little people that are using their awareness maybe people use their awareness when they're driving a car to a certain degree but self-awareness <clears throat> i i think there's probably more of it today than ever but uh the subconscious um I'm kind of flabbergasted just because this whole seed that I I felt like I personally was like, give me more clarification on the subconscious and how it works and how, how that work is. And like, it's like been in the last three podcasts where it's just blaringly um, easy to see. Like, it's so easy to see, especially after that dream. Like, it's it's stuff that's there that you've manifested for a long, long time. Your consciousness being unaware that controls your physical behavior if you're not doing the work. Like, just, just it's simple. That's why... And back when I would, after I started meditating when I was really young and then, you know, say five years go by and, and then, you know, you kind of get down and you, you, you realize, oh, I haven't meditated in two weeks and your behavior changes. Like it literally changes because your subconscious starts to take over. I've seen it happen. Like I've seen it happen in my life where you stop and it's like, wow, you like, um, but I think what you're doing is, you know, eventually you're doing the work of going in and, and seeing all the karmic videos of, of your intellect, your whole life, but you're so disciplined in, in doing that. I think there's a point where you pretty much clean that out. Right. I mean, is that not the end goal? Yeah, that's definitely, I think, the end goal. I think, yeah, you're just shedding light on the situation. Um, it's very, it's very difficult because, like, I can see clearly how I would have reacted, you know, a couple of years ago. Like, it's almost like you should put a warning just on the work itself. Like, if I would have started this earlier, I would have been able to convince myself I'm way worse of a person than I am. It's it's only the fact that there is a God experience inside of me that even allows me to bring that light in there and see these manifestations and connections of ego and see them for what they are and just step back into the divinity and judge them useless judge them immoral judge them not me but the only way that's even possible is from a god experience which 
so when I see like so much of like the shadow work stuff online and as much of a buzzword it is like, I almost don't even know what people are doing because I, I can't imagine how the work is even done unless you go in there with your own understanding of divinity. Because I can see clearly, I would have turned all of this around. Like I can go in, I can have an experience. I can see, like, I cannot believe that I'm relating to this action the way that I am. But I don't let it, I don't look at when I come out of the dream and I look back, I'm like, oh, that has to go. That's not me. That's not me. That's some desperated, that's some desperation wrath that got manifested. But that's not me. But if you, if I didn't have some kind of divinity foundation, I think that could get super confusing for people. Especially, that's what we were talking about last week too, when you apply like the law of attraction. And you realize, like, if you go in and you let it bring you down vibrationally, you're just going to attract more of that stuff vibrationally. And there's like a hole there. So if you don't have light to hold on to, it it seems like it could be very um, self-destructive. I feel like I can just clearly see in my head how my mind would have messed me up earlier. Yeah, you explain it so well. I mean, I can see so clearly without the experience of an awakening that understanding how you're working backwards uh, and using that experience. uh, Yeah, no, that I don't understand either. If I mean, there's definitely some exploitation of of words that are buzzwords for sure i mean lots of people can talk about doing their shadow work and that's cool and whatever but i mean the from your wake seeing yourself multiple times and ever since you said like three dreams i'm i'm coming up with three sets all the time i'm like what did he do to me uh, <laughs> but seeing three sets of usually stuff you don't want to see in releasing that. Uh, yeah, it's not for the faint of heart and it's not for someone that hasn't tasted divinity. It's not like it's, uh, it's not, but it doesn't matter because someone that hasn't seen or tasted divinity with an experience is going to manifest the way they're going to manifest anyway. So regardless whether they dabble in shadow work and, go on their merry way it's still snowballing in one direction no matter how you want to look at it i mean the fact that if you didn't have experience and you went in and your intellect and just had this supreme answer well you just shot it down but you're still barreling down the universe with your intellect so it just it was what it was until you had some kind of experience that in your case, had to happen. And in my case, I 
I thought at one time that your case was kind of rare, and I'm kind of thinking that my case is super rare, because why would anyone choose to, to do what the hell I did? Like, I willingly yeah. went down and sat down in a chair not having any kind of experience. I just had a snippet of, I just had a snippet of someone's voice that I knew that that person, so this is what it was. I knew, like, if I were to hear you talk that day, I would have felt that energy and I would have knew you had something that I didn't have. And I would have said, how did he find that? And there's like, oh, here's the directions. This is how he found, found it. And I sat myself down and I found it. But I don't see that many people doing it that way. But I don't It's almost know. like a vibrational radar. Yeah. But a lot of people that I don't know, I don't necessarily hear their awakening story. I mean, Eckhart Tolle, we talk about him a lot because it's the most unique one that he actually shared. So I don't know um, uh, the actual stories of people and their roadmaps to get to where they were. Um, you know, even down to all, all the people that we talk about, I mean... Most of them, I mean, we're we're pretty open and share our story, but I, I just don't really hear too many people like intimately sharing like how they got to where they they got as far as an awakening. I mean, I guess that's rare in itself. Yeah, I think it's I think because we have each other, we can kind of just go back and forth. But I think it's it's just so non transferable. Like if you were just to, you know, talk to other family members or talk to close friends, like experiences don't transfer from one person to another. Like I can't take my experience and put it in somebody else. And without that experience, like you don't know what the hell I'm talking about. You don't know. And that's what I mean. Like with the shadow work, it's. It's it's almost like. Um, I don't even understand how it'd be possible without the experience. And then there's so many things that are like that where, you know, understanding compassion or, you know, building virtue, like the idea that you would be doing any of this without some kind of experience of divinity. Like, I don't under, I mean, I guess that's what you're saying. I, I guess that's what you did. Like you had some kind of built in, vibrational radar vibrational attraction that you knew to open up to like a certain vibrational state that kind of got the ball rolling for you yeah it wasn't really uh it, it was built in for sure because once i heard like vibrations in a voice i knew automatically where it was coming from i knew it had nothing to do with the person it was like Okay, I understand that vibration. Where where did you find that out? And that was it was pretty simple from well, I mean life isn't always simple just because you find like where to go inward. I mean, there's trials and tribulations for sure. It doesn't it's not like the instant antidote for everything. But if I didn't have that in my life, 
at the age of I had, who knows where I'd be. Like I, like I, there's so many people that you have compassion for that, you know, acted out horrible acts of violence or got really depressed or just have super anxiety that they never know knew how to cure or what the antidote was for it. And I've always been super grateful that at a young age, I found something that I, if, if things did get to a point of out of control in my mind that I always knew where the door was. And there'd be times where I meditated for a period of time, but there'd be times where I had stopped for a couple of weeks and I'd noticed that my behavior changed. But as I look back now, it's all kind of cool as like a scientist as well, because I have the knowledge of knowing like a lot of different things that happen through trial and error on the spiritual path. And one of them is, yeah, just let your mind tell you, you don't need to meditate anymore. Well, that's fine. Try it out. Try it out. Just go about your business for two weeks and say, I'll just take over from here because I've done it before, but just watch your behavior change. And at the end of two weeks, see if you're better off than you were two weeks before. I guarantee you. And at my level now, I'm not saying that, you know, there's a certain, um, you know, in incarnating, crystallizing the Christ, the solar body. I don't know if you need to meditate anymore. You know, I think there's a certain right. point where you've mastered what you need to master. Um, but yeah, for me, I've tried trial and error for a long time. So I know the do's and don'ts for sure. For me personally, I was just, I was just listening to a mystic that said, uh, I mean, certainly incarnated uh, to the degree of a master. And then, yeah, was still meditating, was still meditating just out of the joy of it, the way he said it, just out of the joy of it. And so I bet it's at that level, it's just. Um, yeah, it's hard to, hard to say. Certainly it wouldn't be necessary. I don't think. Um, but I just heard one example where somebody still was doing it. Well, for example, like the two weeks of your awakening, what did you, you, you didn't have a need. Yeah. Did you? No. (laughs) No. Well, it was just all the time. No, Well, you were in a constant meditative state. It was constant. Yeah. Like it was never. I was afraid to meditate because I might disappear. Yeah, but now <laughs> applying the knowledge that state, then, yeah, you know, five years from now, you might sit down and be able to fly away with your consciousness. That may be why they do it. Right. I think the the main point on the shadow work just to put a bookend on that is um i do think it's it's pretty advanced work and the thing to remember if you're finding parts of yourself that you don't like like you're doing it correctly like that's i think the part that um gets a little weird 
because nobody really likes to confront themselves like that. But finding parts of yourself that you don't like is the entire point. And then you're bringing your light and shining awareness to that aspect of yourself that you don't like. Most of the time so far, I mean, you were talking about stuff that like you didn't even know you were capable of some stuff that's a surprise, something that is like what hypothetical narrative manifested this version of myself. So there's they're they're out of this world. They're off the wall. They're um, very, very difficult to confront. But with that said, what you're doing, depending on what exactly you're confronting, it's going to be some version of representation of the seven deadly. But when you have the seven deadly, you were saying this a while ago, you have the flip side, which is building the virtues. So the one that I know the best is pride. And once that pride gets flipped, you just find yourself very, very humble. But that humble is now, it's literally like a virtue for the astral body to build foundation on, on this virtue of being humble. And then, you know, with wrath and compassion, and they all have these flip sides to them. So you shed light on the part that you're exposing yourself to, but what's left is understanding the flip side. That's what's so interesting about lust because lust has like such a mechanical flip flip side. Like, so it's, it's either lust or it's chastity. Like it's very, very black. It's either action or non-action. It's one of those that it's very uh, mechanical to work with. But some of the other ones are um, really, really heartfelt virtues that you feel building from shedding light. Now, there's a lot more process involved in the Gnostic teachings in terms of the elimination of these egos. Um, And there's a lot to go into in terms of prayer and judgment and discernment and elimination and there's um there's a lot to go in there so i'm certainly no expert other than um i find myself able to go in and start to observe and shed light on some of these uh subconscious puppet strings and you know, with practice, just getting better and better at it. And the next stage, I think, is to really start to work on these eliminations. Good night, everybody.